Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Hello, it's happening. This is live. I'm here. Uh, and what is this? I can hear you asking. I can tell you what it is. What it is, is live Q&A with plastic surgeon to the stars, JJ Stiano. That's right. That's me. So um, this is happening tonight at 7pm because that is what, what uh, when it goes on. And what I'd like to do is say, please comment and share. Oh, sorry, that's not come up properly. Please comment and share. There we go. Please comment and share. And, you know, I'm going to get straight in here to tell you that we have got a um, podcast. This is a podcast on iTunes. So if you are a podcast person, then you can uh, listen to it on iTunes. This one, I've got implants because I've been asked to show implants. So, But still, podcast will be relevant. And also... Oh, I've got to edit that because it's not actually a daily vlog. It's sort of like a daily vlog, but we got a... Can I edit that? No. Anyway, we've got a vlog on YouTube um, of what goes on in the clinic. So there you go. Um, but the main thing is we are... I've got questions here, which I'm going to be answering. If you've got any questions that you can think of, Roxana, straight in. Not so much a question than a comment. Good evening. Good evening, Roxana. Nice to see you here tonight. Um, right. This is I, I was supposed to do this last week, but I forgot to bring the implants home with me. So I'm doing it this week uh, about the implants. What do they look like? So this is basically I think the question was basically what is it? Was it? A, I think it was. it. I don't know if it's B-Lite or polyurethane. Anyway, I'm going to talk generally about it. This is a B-Lite implant if you're interested. That's what a B-Lite implant looks like. That's sort of like a normal silicone implant. Is that, can you see that? B-Lite is the white, oh no, sorry. B-Lite <laughs> is the white one. This is a B-Lite implant. Um, this is a normal silicone implant. People get very um, worried about types of implants and uh makes of implant most implants are textured silicone implants to be honest both be a be light implant and and this implant they are both textured silicone implants so i've just done a um a blog about this about the different types of implants i've lost an implant lost an implant sorry i found it <laughs> right um so basically I think people worry about it more than they need to really most implants are well all implants have got a silicone shell so sometimes people will say i don't want any silicone i want a saline implant well that's fine you can have a saline implant but it's still a silicone shell it's just saline inside we don't tend to use much saline implants in the uk um most implants that we use um pretty much all implants really are silicone implants that means they are a silicone um, shell with silicone gel inside. Now, there's only one company in the world that makes the silicone for breast implants. It's in Texas. So every single breast implant has got the same gel in it. So people who say, oh, this make is better than that make. Oh, you know, you want to have these. These are the best. You know, it's not that much to choose between them because they've all got the same gel in them. Um, so you can't really choose. And the main things you can choose are the coating. Now I say they've all got the same gel in them. Um, the sil the, the polyure uh, oh God, the B light, the B light one, uh, this one, the white one is, has got us, has got, is a textured silicone implant. Same as this. So here we go, Tracy, do they feel different? Um, no, no, uh, as, uh they're both textured silicone implants a silicone textured shell with silicone gel inside and they both feel the same the 
these are slightly different than oh, no, these ones. The white one, sorry, it's just it's reversed. When I look at it there, my hands are reversed. I should look at real life. This is the B light implant. So the B light implant is slightly different because the silicone has got microspheres bonded to it, which makes it lighter. So it is lighter than a standard silicone implant. So it's still silicone gel, it's still a silicone shell, but it's the silicone inside is is bonded to these microspheres, which make it lighter than a standard silicone implant. So, but when people get hot under the color about different makes of implants and things, it's not really, you, you don't really worry too much about the different makes of implants, to be honest with you, because they're all, I mean, the vast majority, to be honest, are, are, are like these textured silicone implants, and there's not a huge um, amount to choose between the different makes. Um, you could have a smooth silicone implant, and we're using these. Um, these are sort of coming back in now because of ALCL, uh, which is a type of cancer that's been associated with implants. It's only sort of come out recently. All the cases of ALCL have been in textured implants. It's a very rare thing. But nevertheless, there are no cases with smooth implants. So some surgeons are saying, well, I'm going to use smooth or some patients are saying I want a smooth implant because there's no cases of ALCL with patients with smooth implants. And that's absolutely fine. You can have a smooth implant if you want. The couple of things about the smooth implant is that you can't have a teardrop. Can you see that? That's a teardrop. So you can't have a teardrop if you're having a smooth implant because it just rotates. Um, the texturing makes it rotate less if you really don't want it to rotate and actually this is something that someone was on earlier on the, the live thing you have a polyurethane this is a polyurethane uh, teardrop implant but anyway um so a smooth implant you can't have texture you can't have a uh, teardrop because they rotate um and they've got a higher rate of capsular contracture compared with a textured implant but nevertheless they um, there is a uh, no cases of ALCL with smooth. So some people are using smooth. So what are your options? Your options are smooth or textured. So you can make a decision on that. And, you know, it's all about knowing the risks and balancing the risks with the benefits. So, um, but if you have the different makes, you know, certainly with a, with a smooth, what's going to be different between a smooth silicone implant with different makes? Mainly around the warranty, really. So you need to look at the warranty because the warranties are slightly different. Uh, we've got some questions. So it, do they look, does one last longer than the, la than the last day? Is the heavier one more likely to drop? Right. Okay, good. Two good questions by Roxana Australia. Roxana. Roxana Australia with two good questions there. Blimey, all righty. Um, so question number one, does one last longer than one last longer than the last than the other so in terms of these two which are the b light implant and a standard silicone implant they don't last any differently they both last the same and the when you say last there's two things really number one is uh rupture rupture is pretty rare these days and they're all uh <clears throat> um form stable which is uh cohesive gel um, Sarah's desperately for me to cut a, 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 an implant live on video so you can see. But basically, if you cut it in two, they stay intact. They don't sort of leak liquid silicone. So rupture is less of a problem because even if the shell does fa fail, they don't leak liquid silicone. Um, but the other problem you get is capsular contracture. As I say, smooth implants have got a higher rate of capsular contracture than textured implants. But between a B-Lite implant and a standard silicone implant, both are textured silicone implants. So they'll both have the same risk of capsular contracture. So in, that, in those terms, they would last the same. Now, if you are worried about the lasting, there is these ones, which are, um, this is a um, polyurethane foam implant. So again, it's a smooth silicone implant. It's smooth silicone implant in there. That is a smooth silicone implant, but it's got a foam coating around the outside. And uh, these do last slightly longer, the, the polyurethane ones, because they're much less likely to go hard. So they're much, much less likely to need to be changed. So basically, in terms of implants, most implants are textured silicone implants. The two real differences is not so much in the makes and what have you. The two real differences, if you think you're having breast implants, is in terms of the B lights. The B lights are different because they're lighter and polyurethane those are the two sort of different types of implants you can have both of these are made by polytech it's a german company so if you want either a, 
uh, a B-Light implant or a polyurethane implant, you have to have Polytech. Um, and they, they both got advantages and disadvantages. Uh, but if you want a silicone textured implant, which is probably the majority of the implants we use in the UK, um, there's, there's different makes, but I won't worry too much about the different makes because there's not a lot to choose between them. Um, Roxana has said, is the heavy one more likely to drop? Well, yeah, this is the reason why the B-Lite implants exist, uh, because obviously the weight of the implant, um, having a lighter implant is going to be good. It's going to be less... Um, sort of tension on the tissues and so I mean the one thing you've got to remember is you still have got breast tissue so your breast tissue might drop especially if you've got a big breast but most people having breast implants don't have a, a lot of breast tissue otherwise they wouldn't be having implants but if you have got a lot of breast tissue your breast tissue might drop um, so certainly if you're thinking of an augmentation mastopexy or some of that but the main benefit of the B-Light implant is the implant itself is very light so it's it is um, less likely to have traction on the tissues and it's a lighter uh, and so less force. It is more, in, well, in my view, it's more for the bigger sizes. I think it's more of a, of a thing. Um, in the smaller sizes, the difference is less. They say it's 30% uh, less, I think it is, uh, in weight, heavier, less heavy than the standard silicone implant. They're very expensive, is the B light. That's one thing about the B lights. The B lights are more expensive, polyurethane are more expensive. So these are expensive implants, these B lights and these polyurethane implants. Um, but as I say, there are they are a bit different to silicone um, textured implants, and I think it's worth considering. But if you're considering a textured silicone implant, I wouldn't get too worried about the specific make that you have, because I don't think that's going to make a tangible difference. I think it's reasonable to decide whether you're having a polyurethane or a um, B-Lite, but within the um, realms of textured silicone implants the makes don't matter that much someone on the online chat earlier was asking about uh, specifically wanted to find a clinic that do teardrop polyurethane this is a teardrop polyurethane implant and yes we are a clinic that do teardrop polyurethane implants and the main thing about teardrop polyurethane is that number one obviously polyurethane have got a much lower rate of capsular contracture as i said a minute ago but the other thing about polyurethane is they're much much less likely to move now a lot of people worry about that when you say less likely to move they think oh you know, they're going to be stuck. They don't stick. They still feel like normal breasts, but the implant is less likely to move. So certainly with a teardrop implant, there's a risk it can rotate. Obviously, if you have a round implant and it rotates, it doesn't matter because it's round. You know, it's just sort of round all the way around. But a teardrop one, because it's, oops, because it's fuller in one end than the other, if it rotates, it looks odd. And so teardrop, that's another plus about polyurethane they are much less likely to rotate but as i say there are pros and cons of polyurethane pros and cons of b-light pros and cons of silicone pros and cons of smooth shell and uh, textured set shell and it's a question of balancing up those risks actually now i'm on it i've got another question i just thought of because i asked it answered it earlier someone said to me earlier they didn't say to me someone emailed um can i'm gonna write it live can you dye or oh, no that sounds a bit extreme uh can a l c l be how do we put it fatal sounds bad doesn't it life-threatening that sounds better life this is a question someone asked me earlier well, I think it was yesterday, I can't remember when it was, a couple of days ago on email. Uh, they specifically said, it can ALCL be life-threatening? ALCL is, is that type of cancer that's a very rare cancer associated with implants that has been um, in the, the news recently, and certainly plastic surgeons have been talking a lot about it. Um, it seems to be related to textured implants. So, uh, as I say, there's no cases with smooth implants. So some plastic surgeons are moving towards using smooth implants. Um, we don't really know what causes it. So like tomorrow, someone might come out with a smooth implant uh, and ALCL. So that's a bit of a worry. But at the moment, there are no cases of people who've purely had smooth implants who've got ALCL. There are people who've had, got ALCL who've had smooth implants, but they've also had textured implants. So um, that might be a reason for you to want smooth implants, which is fine. As I say, they have got a higher rate of capsular contracture and you can't get teardrop with a smooth, but still, you know, you might feel that that uh, badness is outweighed by the goodness. Um, 
And they also about ALCL, is it life-threatening? Well, if you ask me that question directly, I have to say, yes, it is. People have died of ALCL. Now, having said that, it's a very rare cancer. And not only is it very rare, in the small number of people that have had it, it is very rare to die from it. The risk of dying from it is very, very low. And so the risk of dying due to having breast implants is extremely low. You have a choice, so you have to know the risks and you have to be aware of it. But when they've looked at it, they did a study where they looked at the risk of other things that we do in life. If you said to me, is there a risk of dying if I drive to the clinic, especially if you come on the M6? You know, I have to say to you, well, yeah, driving to the clinic is could be life threatening. You know, um, there's lots of things we do that could be life threatening. When they looked at the, the risk of having breast implants in, um, compared to other things, they found that the risk of living in New York for two days, I think, or going skiing for one day, um, the risk of doing those things is twice as much as the risk of having breast implants in, of dying. So you're twice as likely to die if you live in New York for two days, or if you go skiing for one day, compared to having uh, textured silicone breast implants in. So it's a very, very small risk. And uh, compared to other things we do all the time, driving 70 miles in a car, I can't remember what it was, like driving um, so many miles in a duck car every day, and it's five times the risk of dying compared to having textured silicone implants. So it, it is there, but it's extremely rare. But still, you've got a choice whether you have, and like I said to this person, you've got a choice whether you have implants or not. You've got a choice. You can choose not to have implants, and therefore you won't take on these risks. To be honest with you, I think ALCL is very rare and it's not something that would be high on my agenda if I was having implants in terms of risks, although because it's been in the media, people do worry about it. But there are other things, rippling, rippling, feeling the edge, um, capsular contracture, rotation of a teardrop implant, um, infection. Did I say infection already? You know, there's all sorts of bad things that can happen. Malposition, the implants being high, low, wide. I don't want to make out as if it's going to be a bad thing, but there are much more common things that can happen if you have implants uh, that you need to be worried about and you need to weigh up those risks against the benefits and only you know the benefits that's the point the patient is the only one who knows the benefits so we can just sit there and tell you all the bad things can happen you know the benefits you can have and so if your benefits aren't that much if you think actually you know what i'm feel fine i'm okay i don't really you know need implants that much and flip like i'm not taking on all those risks well that's fine don't don't do it that's no one i think everyone would think that's absolutely fine to to do that you know that's not a problem um it's about just weighing up the knowing the risks before you have the surgery i mean the worst thing you do is have the surgery and then we would say oh yeah of course yeah you can get rippling and get tapped you know rotation well if you told me that i would never have it done we don't want that to happen so we have to tell you all the bad things that can happen and bad things can happen but it is a very popular operation <laughs> I feel, I feel like I'm going off on my own on this now. I'm not really asking questions anymore. I'm just going off on one. It is a popular operation and the risks are very low. <laughs> um, so the risks are very low, but they're out there. So you need to know. Um, and there's a lot of happy patients. Breast implant illness. That's the other thing she was asking about. Breast implant illness. I think the problem is they get onto these websites and things like that and they find all these people who complain of breast implant illness and the implants made them feel unwell and there are people out there who have that got that yes we haven't found a link doesn't mean there isn't one we haven't found a link between breast implants making you feel unwell and it is a very small number of people there's a compared to the millions and millions of people with implants in who are very happy so um so yeah you know <laughs> yeah sorry about that roxanne i don't know what happened not what happened i went on one i feel like i have to just What's that? That's a clap, I think, Christine, isn't it? So, um, God, dear. Don't know what happened there. Did I just go off on one? Right. Bring it back down. I'm bringing it down. Bring it back down into the questions. Back to the questions. It's not about me. It's about you. Okay. So let's, let's bring it back. I've got a pile of implants here on my desk. Let's pile them up. And let all oh, this computer keeps on going on and off. Um, you have a lie down. Right. So, question here. What happens if I get an infection after surgery? Do I contact my surgeon and travel back to the London hospital where the procedure took place? Do I go see my GP or do I go to my local A&E? 
Um, yeah, I, th I think this question came through on Facebook. Not, I'm not sure if it was supposed to be directed at me because we don't do surgery in London. So um, I'm not sure if it was supposed to be for someone else. But anyway, I'm going to answer it anyway because, you know, I'm looking for questions all the time. So I'm answering. I'm going to take this question and run with it, even though it may not have been for me. Um, doesn't matter. And now we do have a clinic in London, so maybe that's what they're talking about. Um, we're, we're focusing on the Birmingham clinic really at the moment. I'm desperate to get, there's a, we've got a surgeon in London who, um, who I know and I, I want to build up the London clinic, but at the moment we're just trying to do the Birmingham clinic. Anyway, it's digression Tuesday today, isn't it? Um, so the principal question is saying, do I contact my surgeon and go back to the hospital or do I see my GP or do I go to my local A&E? Um, now, the way the question's phrased, saying, do I contact my surgeon and travel back to the London hospital? That suggests that person doesn't live in London. So this first thing I would say is always go to a surgeon and a clinic and a certain hospital, which is close to where you live. Because, you know, traveling back to London things, if you're not in London, is a bit of a palaver. Now, obviously, we're based in Birmingham. Um, so um, I would say that if you have a problem, the first person to call, this is for me, if it's if it's on, on my clinic, is to call the, the surgeon. Yeah, call the surgeon. And we will give you a sheet after you've had surgery with contact details on it. And I think most people would. Uh, usually, um, well, not usually, the, the hospitals will always have 24-hour cover. And they have an RMO, a resident medical officer, who is on site 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So I would say always contact the hospital or the doctor who did your surgery. And again, I'm just talking about me. You've got to, if you're not having it done at our clinic, you, I guess you've got to ask for your doctor or your surgeon what to do. But my my um, take on it is that I don't really want you going to A&E. And I don't think you probably want to go to A&E because you might have to wait for ages and all this sort of stuff. But also you'll see a doctor who doesn't know you, who may not know what you've had done, may not know what surgery you've had done, um, certainly won't know the nuances of it. Um, similarly with your GP, you know, your GP may not know what, um, you know, what is involved with a breast reduction or breast augmentation or whatever surgery you've had done. And so um, it is much better to come and see us come and see the surgeon the nurse, you know we're doing it all the time we will often see people who've gone to the gp who said you've got an infection give them antibiotics we're looking and seeing that's not infected it's just a bit red it always goes a bit red that's fine um it's not a disaster it's fine you know if you're on, on if you're on uh, antibiotics or whatever but it's, you know often you 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 may not need them or you may need them when you haven't had them. So it's always best to come back and see your surgeon. They are the best person to know what you've had done and to advise you as to what how best to proceed. Not only that, I think if you've had surgery, you yourself probably don't want to see be seen by a, a, sur a, a surgeon or a doctor who doesn't know you. You don't want to go to A&E with a whole load of people who've broken their arm and goodness knows what's wrong with them. And, you know, it's not really a place you want to go. So you're much better off going back to the private hospital, giving them a ring, as I say, a resident doctor will be there. Uh, they'll be able to advise you if it's just phone advice. Often it is if you need to um, be admitted or have any procedures or anything like that, then it's just so much easier if you're in the hospital. Um, once you go to an A&E, once you go to an NHS hospital, particularly if you get admitted, it's really hard to transfer you then to the private hospital because they worry about MRSA and all this sort of stuff. And they have to hospital, hospital transfers are real nuisance so you're not saying well if you've just gone to the private hospital to start off with we'd have just admitted you straight away it's a lot easier to just walk into the private hospital and get readmitted than to go to the a and e because once you get admitted to your local nhs hospital it becomes a real palaver to do an inter-hospital transfer because they worry about uh, particularly like mrsa and things so in general terms phone your surgeon it may not be your actual surgeon it may just be the hospital or um, the, the ward that you're on they usually be given a number to phone but it's always best now having said that phone them and sometimes they say look you know if you've had a tummy tuck or something like that and you've got you feel all fluid and you feel rough and there's maybe something that doesn't sound like it's really in your tummy absolutely fine and you came back to the dressing and it was all fine you know it might not be unreasonable to go to your gp because you might have flu-like symptoms you might have a cold you might have tinnitus you might have 
you know, um, I don't know, some other problem, urine infection or something, some other problem, maybe not related to your surgery. So there may be circumstances where it might be reasonable to go to your GP, but I think it's always good to ring your clinic first or ring your, your doctor first. And they might say to you, you know what, if you're down the road from the GP and we're, you know, an hour away, why don't you go and see your GP and then let me know and I can always liaise with the GP and stuff like that. So it's always good to keep us in the loop. Keep us in the loop. And if it's something that's not obviously related to your surgery, we might say, you know what, go and see what your GP says. And then you can always come back and see us if um, if the GP's concerned that it's something to do with our thing. Or if the GP's not sure, then you can always come back and see us. But certainly if we're far away, that you can do that. But that's why I always say, look, don't. If you live in Birmingham, don't go to London or Manchester or Prague or Turkey or whatever for your surgery because then it just gets difficult if you you know if you do get a problem then you do end up in A&E similarly if you live in Prague or Turkey or London or Manchester don't come to Birmingham for it have it done where you are you know um, there's good doctors all over the well certainly all over this country and all over the world there's good doctors everywhere so you you know really you know often you can find a good doctor local to you and it just life is so much easier if you have it done local to you because you just drop down to the clinic drop down to the to the hospital and get checked out rather than driving an hour or two hours or whatever it is to see um them Deep breath. cost revision surgery are review operations free um I meant revisions operations free. So big, big, is it a big question? But a good question. Definitely a good question. And these are the sort of questions you need to be asking. You need to be getting clarity on before you have your surgery. This is how you avoid getting unhappy patients because people are often unhappy when they, we say things to them after they've had the surgery and they're like, what? It's the same with anything. You buy something. My mum's just, just spoke to my mum. She bought a radio and she took it back to the shop because it's broken. And they said to her, it's a radio that takes batteries and you plug it in. But if you put batteries in it and then you plug it in, you break it. Does that sound right? It doesn't sound right to me. They've said, that's what they said to her. If you put plug it in when it's got batteries in, it breaks. She's like, well, you could have put that in the booklet, you know, is that right? But anyway, if that is right, that's annoying if they didn't tell her before, because she wouldn't have plugged it in with the battery. She'd have taken the batteries out before plugging it in. I can't believe in this day and age. Anyway, so that's the, the case in point, same sort of thing with this, you know, we, we you've got to be clear on what's involved, because a lot of people say, oh, you're covered. Lifetime cover. Don't worry. We'll look after you. No problem at all what is covered now um in terms of follow-up we will see you if there's any problems we'll always see you no problem at all um but the specific question is about the cost of revision surgery which is a different kettle of fish so the, the cost of revision surgery is covered between, for between six and 12 months um it depends on the hospital so the hospital have a have a revision policy so the hospital will have a revision policy of whatever time and so between six and 12 months to be honest with you most things are around by six months. I think six months is a bit short personally because often things will settle. I normally say ideally wait around a year for revisions, but anyway, uh, we are one of the hostels is six months. But anyway, um, six, you'll certainly have an idea about it at six months whether you've got the problem. So sometimes all we'll say is, look, we'll raise this as, an, as a thing. And then if it does settle, fine. If it doesn't. So revision surgery is covered free of charge so that means no hostel fee no surgeon fee no anesthetist fee no dressings no you know whatever if you need to go back into the hostel like we said earlier if you've got you know if you've got infection if you have to be readmitted you have to have intravenous antibiotics you have to have a scan you have to have a ultrasound drainage or anything like that any sort of treatment or any, or whatever have you if it's between six and 12 months depending on the hostel then you do not have to pay <clears throat> Now, the question, the big thing here that I would say is the revision. What is a revision? That is where the um, that is where you've got to be um, have a bit of clarity, because um, 
it's all saying we will sort it out what is revision now particularly in terms of breast implants the main thing that i talk about in breast, breast implants is that the cosmetic result in terms of whether they are usually whether they're too big or too small is not covered that is not considered a revision if they look fine if they're placed right they're sitting right no rippling can't feel the edge don't feel hard uh, you know not too high or low or whatever but they're just too small you're like you know what i was thinking of the 250 or the 360 and i and I, you know i went for the 250s you know what i think i, I think i prefer the 360s that is not covered size is not covered for breast implants so if you're unhappy with the size you will have to pay again which is why we always say come back come back as often as you want before you have the surgery do the sizes talk to us look at some photos be absolutely comfortable as you can with the um with the size because the size is not covered so just purely if the cosmetic result is good and it looks fine but you don't have you don't like the size that is not covered so that's something to be clear on now if they're too high or too low or if they're one swollen and you know if it's just not right if the if it's not what the surgeon thought it would look like if it's not what we thought hold on that's not right me. then that is covered but if we look at it and think yeah that's what 250 cc implants look like yeah that's yeah that's that's and you're like, yeah, but I wanted bigger than that. Well, you could have had the 360, but you said you wanted the 260 or two, whatever, you know. For so that it's it's really if things aren't right is covered. So if you get a dog ear, little bump, if you get a swelling, if you get a hematoma, obviously blood collection in there, or if it's not right, then that is a that is a revision. But if it looks fine and it's just purely actually the size, particularly when you're talking about breast implants, that's not covered. So that's something to be clear about prior to having the surgery. So that is a good question. And that is something that I think you need to try and nail down because often, you know, people say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all right. We'll look after you. But like, what does exactly that mean? What does that exactly mean? Um, question number four. Could you tell me, is it possible to have a tummy tuck after having three cesarean sections? Yes. No problem. No problemo. Um, nil, nada, niente. Not a problem. Yep. You can have a tummy tuck after three cesarean sections. And you can see why you might, because three cesarean sections means three pregnancies. Someone's been stretched. Usually when you do surgery, usually uh, in the same sort of area, like a cesarean section, they'll sort of excise the scar. So usually you just have one scar. I've seen people with two scars as well, but usually just one scar. So what we'll tend to do, if you look at the skin we take out with the, with the tummy tuck, we tend to go below the cesarean section scar. So the cesarean section scar is cut out with the excision from the tummy tuck. So you're still left with just one scar. So your cesarean section scar is gone. Throw that away. And you're just left with your tummy tuck scar, which is in a similar place to the cesarean scar, just slightly below it, but obviously longer. It goes from hip to hip, whereas the cesarean, cesarean scar is obviously often shorter than that. But absolutely fine to have a tummy tuck after a cesarean section or three cesarean sections. Absolutely fine. Similarly, absolutely fine to have a cesarean section after a tummy tuck. No problem at all. Sometimes people ask that. No problem at all. The only thing that I think, hold on a minute, He's like, what do you mean? You got pregnant after a tummy tuck. That might stretch the skin again. That's the only thing. And we take a lot of care when we stitch up our um, wound and they're going to go through it with their cesarean. That's the only thing. But, you know, often cesarean scars fade beautifully. So, um, yeah, tummy tuck after C-section, no problem at all. C-section after tummy tuck, no problem at all, except the skin might stretch. This is a good question. This had me thinking, this one. Can I have a fleur de leave? This is a patient was asking about a different types. You know, loss in massive weight loss. I don't know what it was, nine stone or something. Um, can I have a fleur de leave tummy tuck with a circumferential uh, tummy uh, abdominal fasting? So fleur de leave is the T-shaped one. And a fleur de leave. So basically you've got a normal tummy tuck, which is just taking that front bit of the skin off. Scar, same place as the cesarean section scar, goes from hip to hip, boom, gets that skin off. But if you look at what you're doing there, you're doing, you're removing skin in an upward pull takes that bit off so you're moving skin in that sort of direction up and down direction fleur de lever moves it in that direction so fleur de lever does that it also does that so above the belly button there's a you you you, you narrow the waist 
So you take, so you end up with a T-shaped scar. So same scar uh, there, and then scar going down there. So that's a fleur de lis. So that's for people who have massive weight loss, a lot of skin. So it narrows the waist as well as giving the normal tummy tuck thing. Circumferential abdominoplasty is sort of one up from that. Circumferentials, as the name suggests, goes all the way around, goes around to the back. So you take a tummy tuck and you go all the way around. Now it does tighten the back skin, but really what it gets is the side skin. The, the, these bits here because a normal tummy tuck sort of peters down here so it narrows down here so you don't take as much here no oh this is weird this reverse thing narrows down here so that hand is going like that so i'm going to go over to that yeah and i'm going to turn no i'm going to turn yeah yeah so it's it it, it doesn't take out much here so a, a circumferential you keep it wide here so you can take a lot more out of the sides with the circumferential because you're keeping it wide the excision um, so it's good at the sides and also the back, although you limited how much you can take in the back because you're doing the front as well. But um, but you would not do, or I wouldn't do a. It's a good question. You know, would you do a flirtly and a circumferential? I wouldn't do a flirtly with a circumferential. The problem with a flirtly because you've got a T junction, you've got one an up and down scar and a normal abdominoplasty scar. There's problems with the wound healing at that T junction. There's potential for problems that. Uh, wound healing at that junction so they um with a with a circumferential there's again huge problems for wound healing problems it's got a very high complication rate of circumferential and i just wouldn't put that extra complication of doing a flirtily and having those two bits of skin flopping about and then having to bring them down it's just too much and i think your wound your complications are going to be crazy so i wouldn't do a flirtily i wouldn't be cutting that middle flap um and, and tightening that way a circumferential is usually enough on its own without doing a flirtly. It's a good question. I did have to think about. It. I think would you? I think actually no. I wouldn't. Wouldn't do a flirtly with a with a circumferential. So a bit of a niche question that really. I don't think there's many people who are going to be in the market for a uh, flirtly, let alone a circumferential abdominoplasty. It's really the huge weight loss with a lot of redundant skin. So I would say it's a it's a standard tummy tuck. You can do a lot with a standard tummy tuck. Moving up from that would be a flirtly. Moving up from that would be a circumferential. Right. Am I on my own? Roxana says I'm not on my own, but um, I don't know if I'm missing something. Comment? 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 Funny questions you can ask them, you know. Good job. I had my preordained one. This is the last question. So when I ask this question, that's it. I'm gone. I'm out of here. I've got my taxi waiting and I'm gone. I'm going to take my implants and I'm going to fly. I'm taking these implants and I'm gone. All right, so all in fair warn. Last question. This question says, I had an FDL back on the fleur de lis. I had a fleur de lis or F fleur de lis uh, abroad, came back with infection and now horrible scarred with a big mons lol. Should I consider surgery again? I'm scared. So again, goes back to the fleur de lis abroad, came back with infection. It's just so much more difficult to manage infections and stuff if you're surgeon and your clinics abroad but anyway um now horrible scared sc sorry scarred with a big mons this is often a problem and again this is going back to what i said about the revision um this is a good i wish i'd thought about this in example actually when i talked about the revision because um and it's going back to getting happy patients by explaining things to patients before you do the surgery. If you explain things after they do the surgery, but like my mum with the batteries and the radio, um, then they're going to be annoyed. If you say to them before, you know what, if you put radio, if you put batteries in this radio and then you plug it in, you're gonna you're gonna break the radio, then you're okay. If you do that, you're like, well, fair dues, he did tell me. And look what I've gone and done. I've gone and plugged it in with batteries in. But if you don't tell someone and they go and plug it in with batteries in, they're going to be rightfully annoyed. So what often happens with people who've had a massive weight loss, and if you had a fleur de abdominoplasty, that suggests you have had massive weight loss, they get a quite a totic or quite a, a full mons. The mons is the pubic area, you know, but behind the belt, a bit behind the belt buckle where the pubic hair is above the pubic bone that's the mons and that's often quite full but before you have your tummy tuck you don't realize you got it there because your tummy apron is hiding it and you don't see it and so it's all important if people have got a big full mons it's important for us to explain to them look you've got a big full mons and um 
you're limited as to what you can do to your mons when you do a tummy tuck because when you do a tummy tuck you are taking all the tissue above in the upper abdomen you're pulling it down you don't want to be guddling down into the mons because then the scar can can um, migrate up the pubic hair can migrate up you can get a clitoral or a lift you can get a lot of swelling because there's a lot of lymphatic tissue in the mons you can all sorts of problems basically when you start trying to do too much to the mons there is stuff you can do to the mons but there is not a you've got to be careful doing stuff to the mons at the time of a tummy tuck so you often have to do it later you often have to do it once it's all healed once it's all sorted, you often have to do revision. So not revision. Well, this is a question. Would it be revision? That's a difficult one. So, um, you know, you, you would often have to do stuff to the mons at a second stage. Now, ideally, your surgeon would have said to you beforehand, look, flirtily abdominoplasty, you pay your money. That's what you're getting. You want the mons done, you'd have to pay again. Or, flirtily, this is how much it costs. It costs an absolute arm and a leg. And, you know, if the mons is full, I'll do what I can, but I'll do that will be included. You know, you need for them to have been explicit to you as to whether it's included or not. The mons part of it to, as to whether it's called called, uh, called a revision. I know this isn't what the question is, but this is if I, if I was a patient, I'd be thinking, crikey, because a flirtily is an expensive operation. So um, often you will have to have done stuff to the mons and it wouldn't not be unreasonable to say look that's a different thing and it's a thing i can't address when i'm doing a fleur de lis you you know and so it would not be unreasonable to say look you'll have to pay again for that if you want your mons um addressed i think that would not be unreasonable but i think it would be i think you'd be rightfully annoyed if that wasn't made clear to you before um but i but yeah so so horribly scarred with the big mons should i consider surgery again if you don't like your big mons yes and that would be liposuction, maybe a bit of excision. Um, but you, as I say, you wait for your um, everything to have healed before you start messing and going in. We have got some questions coming in. The last question, um, mm, the last question banner has paid dividends. So Natalia's laughing. Good. What have I, what have I done? Oh. What have I done? Oh, no, is in the mom's stuff. If you would, Laurie is straight in. If you would like to do, if you would, if sorry, if you wouldn't do both together, can I ask what procedure you would do in someone who needs a bottom lift but want an FDL also? So, I would, Laurie, I wouldn't do a, a fleur de lis with a circumferential abdominoplasty. So, I would do a, um, I mean, you could, I mean, bottom lift is not a common procedure, Laurie. The problem with these things, you're into really difficult stuff. You talk about difficult stuff, Laurie, because a fleur de lis is a big op and it's all a big stuff going on at the front. Bent over. Oh, my God, it's sore. Oh, wound healing. If you start messing with the back as well, if you start doing stuff to the buttocks and the, and, and what have you, scars, what do you, where do you sit? You know, normally when you operate on the buttock, you say, look, don't sit on it because you don't want to sit on your wounds. Lie on your front. You can't lie on your front if you have a fleur de lis. Are we talking about the same time? If you wouldn't do both together yeah so I, I wouldn't do them both together i would i would separate things uh and a bottom surgery on the bottom is difficult it's hard work and it's wounds wound breakdowns and what have you so it's um it's a difficult problem but um so i would do the fleur de lis because uh, that's probably the biggest change you're going to get and then um if you wanted something done to your buttocks buttock lift or something like that you could consider it you've got to be careful in the buttocks certainly what you do to the bottom um, so it depends what you mean by a bottom lift. I don't know if you've heard about this Brazilian butt lift thing they talk about when injecting fat into it to inflate the buttocks to take up some of the spare skin. That's not, that's sort of been outlawed, if that's the right word, amongst plastic surgeons. We're not allowed to do injection into the buttocks because very high complication rate, including death. Um, so yeah, I would think about the button thing. I would go with the fleur de lis and I would think twice about the buttock um surgery because buttock surgery is a big deal oh hold on a minute i'm gonna i've just seen laurie i understand what you're saying but i've had a massive weight loss and i'm having an fdl but my bum is saggy as well okay we'll have the fdl and then see what you want with the buttock and if your buttock's saggy um you've got to think about what you're going to have a bit like the breast when your breast is saggy two options one is to inflate the breast with implants 
two is to tighten the skin with by doing a breast lift and you can tighten the skin of the buttock but then you get creep uh, you get scars in the in the crease it's difficult with healing um so buttock lifts bum lifts or what have you uh, is difficult surgery high complication rates i think you'll find the fdl will give you a more predictable result but um yeah, we'll talk to your surgeon about what to do with the buttock, but I think that it's not unreasonable that you are staggering them. I think that's a good thing to do. Shirley's in. Hello. Hi, Shirley. You are obviously on the witness protection program there because you've got your uh, silhouette. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, enough said about that, Shirley. Let's get you off the screen because I've got questions coming in left, right and centre. Now I said that was the last question. Roxana, yeah, you keep it quiet. Yeah. Can you tell me about thigh lifts, the different types of thigh lift and the criteria for each? Yes, I can. Look at this. Wow. Um, so, so Roxana, basically, um, well done on your weight loss. Thank you, Roxana. I'm glad you noticed. Yes, yeah, this dining up bit. Have I lost weight? Was that me or was that Laurie? Maybe that was a maybe that was at Laurie. Oh, that was at Laurie. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you were, thought you were saying that to me. Okay. Um sorry, where was I? Yes, thigh lift. So this is a personal thing, Roxana, and this is my personal view. Disclaim. All right, let's get it up on screen. Let's get a crawler. Crawler, disclaimer, share this, my personal view only. Let's get a, let's get a smiley face in. Right, um, my personal view only, Roxana, so you've got to talk are they what are they are they laughing what are, oh my god those faces look a bit halloween um my personal view only basically roxana the different types of thigh lift are like anything let there's one basically less scarring less downtime less cost less you know less one or more more scarring more cost more downtime and everyone says oh i want the less one please obviously obviously everyone wants the less one um, no one wants scarring, no one wants wound healing problems, no one wants what, you know, all these things, but someone outside. Um, so the less one basically pulls, <laughs> I don't think it's working me standing up, is it? Pulls up and gives you a scar in your groin and it pulls, tightens the skin in an upward vector of pull and it tightens the skin in your groin um oh. tightens the skin in the groin and it's an upward vector and it's a and it's a and it's a scar in your groin crease and the good thing about that is that the scar is hidden because it's in your groin crease there's no scar on your thigh at all um and the the bad thing is that the healing is potentially poor because it's in your groin and so your groin is hot and sweaty naturally hot and sweaty area so there's a risk that they might not heal up as well as we would like and the scar might be a bit thickened but you might say well it doesn't matter because it's hidden in my underwear um so that is good that is a good um thing uh it's a hidden scar and you think that's great the problem with it the same problem with a mini you know tummy tuck and a mini facelift and a whatever you know, limited scar, mastopexy, all these things, it's a less of a lift. And the main thing is, if someone's got a lot of skin on their thigh, and you say, what's the problem? Where's the skin? You pinch your thigh, don't you? You're like, look at all this skin, like that, aren't you? You're pinching it like that. Oops, that's not working, is it? Give myself an injury. So you're pinching your scar, you think, look at all this skin. And the, the, the vector of pull for the, the, the thigh lift, which is hidden up in your groin crease, is an upward vector of pull. It pulls the skin up. And your your thigh is like is like um, a cylinder. Your thigh is like a cylinder, and what you want to do is you want to take a wedge out of the, the cylinder. You don't want to pull it up. You want to pull it up. You want to take it out. So 
in my view, a much better way of doing a thigh lift is to make a big long scar down the medial aspect of the thigh and take that piece of skin out of the cylinder and make the whole sort of diameter of the skin cylinder smaller. That's a much better way of doing a thigh lift, but it's a much bigger scar because it then goes down your leg. And one of the problems with thigh lift is I can't wear shorts. Well, if you give your big long scar down your leg, you might not still be able to wear shorts. Same with the brachioplasty, you know, big long scar on your arm, same sort of thing. So that's more of a scar um, because it's, it's it, and you often do a little, you, you may well be have a little bit up in your groin as well. So you've still got your wound healing issues in your groin. So in my view, I think that is a much better way of doing a, th a thigh lift, but it's only for people who've had a massive weight loss. The problem is if you haven't had massive weight loss, you've only got a little bit of excess in your, in your thigh, you might think, oh, I'll just have the little one where it's up in my groin crease. In my experience, they don't give a very good lift risk of wound healing problems not not cheap it's expensive surgery and so it's marginal the results i think if you're going to do a thigh lift the best way of doing it's that big long scar down the medial aspect of the thigh we aim for it to be hidden from the front of the back but if you abduct your leg if you move your leg apart there is a big scar there it does fade pretty well but still it's a big deal so it's not something that we particularly push or not something that i particularly push but that is the in my view the best type of thigh lift but um, and so the criteria, a lot of the stuff, Roxana, the criteria is based on the patient, really. So I think a patient with a massive weight loss with a huge amount of excess, it's not going to work if you have the, the one where you pull it up and give the scar in the crease. So you're better off having that big, long medial scar for people with less skin who could have either. Again, it, this is why I'm saying it's my personal view. My personal view is that I would probably say, look, I'm not sure if I'm going to give you a great result if I do that medial thigh lift thing with the where you come comes up into the uh, crease. Um, I might be better off. I might be better off just not doing anything. Roxana's straight in. I've got. I'm going to try not. Oh God! I'm going to try not to keep track. To lose track. Can liposuction done? Yes, it can, Roxana. The, now liposuction is usually done as an adjunct, as in in combination with a thigh lift, because uh, liposuction is good at removing fat. It's not good at removing skin. So liposuction is good in certain areas where the skin is quite thick, where the skin recoils. And actually the outer thigh, the skin is much thicker than the skin on the inner thigh. You just have to pinch it to see the skin on the inner thigh is quite papery thin. The outer side thigh is much thicker. So the skin on the outer thigh recoils a lot better than the skin on the inner thigh. So liposuction on the inner thigh on its own, again, in my experience, have I still got that? My personal view is not good because if you just remove the fat and don't tighten the skin, it's no good. The outer thigh, the skin recalls a lot better. The inner thigh, it doesn't. And if you just do liposuction without taking any skin out, you can actually potentially make the problem worse, to be honest, because you have redundant skin. Now, people talk about vaser and all these other sorts of liposuction that do tightening of the skin. Don't know much about them. In, well, at least I don't have personal experience. Of, I know about them, but I don't have experience of doing them. Um, my wife, oh God, she know I'm doing this live forecast, honestly. Um, uh, so yes, liposuction can be done on the inner thigh, but I don't think it is good because I don't think it tightens the skin. I think you're better off having a thigh lift and I think you're better off having, if you're going to have anything, boom, big long scar, but it's a lot to be, lot to take on. So needs a proper conversation, probably a bit more than what I've done here, but that's that's my view. Christine, so after an FDL, what options are there for reducing the Mons area? Lipo or can it be reduced other ways? Maybe combined with the labiaplasty? No, Christine. Well, if you've got a problem with your labia, I guess you could combine it with the labiaplasty, but it's um, totally different from labiaplasty. Labiaplasty is if your labia are too big. So the way to address the Mons after an F, well, after a tummy tuck, is yes, liposuction um, can reduce the mons, and you can actually do liposuction at the time of the F, uh, the time of the, the uh, abdominoplasty. So as I say, I don't think your mons is a write-off at the time of the abdominoplasty. You can do things to try and reduce the mons. It is possible to try and reduce the mons when you do an abdominoplasty, but you're limited. Um, and liposuction is one of those things. But um, after a thing, uh, tummy. Uh, flirtily or any sort of tummy tuck you can do liposuction to reduce that mons area but if it is really big uh, and a real problem and presumably it is because you might have got away with addressing it at the time of the abdominoplasty if you if it wasn't really big then you can do an excision you can do like a wedge excision of that mons area to try and bring it down and the thing is now 
because you've already done your tummy tuck so your scar will be will be set your scar will be healed and set in place so hopefully that scar won't migrate up if you did it at the time of the tummy tuck that scar that big flap of skin that you pulled down is mobile so if you make the big flap at the top mobile and the big and you start mobilizing down south this whole thing can migrate up i don't know if i'm making this clear whereas if you've done a tummy tuck and left it for six months ideally a year really um then that scar is not going to move so you then you can take a wedge down south and then tighten the skin and bring it up to your abdominoplasty scar without hopefully i mean there is still a risk of clitoral lift and that can be a bit uncomfortable can lift up the clitoris um but you know you don't want to take out too much because you don't want to you know take out lift everything up and hoik it up too much sometimes when you pass urine it can have a problem if you take out too much so it's all potential for you know bad things to happen so you've got to be a bit careful when you're when you're doing things to the mons but uh, that's what you would do i would you liposuction is is an option but again it doesn't take out skin if it's a big bulgy mons there may be an excision maybe taking out a wedge would be it would be another option and then you'd still use the same scar that you've already got from your tummy tuck but as i say if you do it later it doesn't migrate up so you, you're better off doing it later Natalia, you want to take the implants with you? Just leave them for me, please. Natalia, you want these? Yeah, I'll leave them for you, Natalia. They're a little bit odd, so you'd have to sort of mix and match a bit of teardrop and around. So I haven't got, I haven't got a good, I haven't got a proper pair of anything that matches. But yeah, do your special offer on these. You know, one careful owner. And they've got sample written on them as well, which anyway, don't have to worry about that. Dust them off, be all right. Uh, Laurie. Oh no, we've done that one. Bum sagging. Uh, Shirley's deep undercover. Roxana, well done. Your weight loss was not to me. That was to uh, Laurie. Vilma was late. Vilma, you're allowed to be late. There's no time limits on this. Don't have to, to apologize, but thank you for, 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 for fessing up. Brilliant. Eight months post-op. So talking after. Christine, is that about the Mons? Yeah. Okay. So eight months, good. So yeah, you could sort of think about it now, plan it now. Tracy, thank you for showing me the implants. Very interesting. It was good to see a bee light at last. Yeah, that's a bee light. That's a bee light. <laughs> that is a bee light, and that is a normal one. Maybe I'll get one of a similar sort of shape. The bee light is the white one, and the silicone one, and that is a polyurethane. When I saw them a while ago, they said that they're trying to patent this white thing, and they're saying if it's not white, it's not light. But the problem is the polyurethane look a bit white, don't they? They look a bit creamy. Anyway, be light implant. To be honest with you, um, Tracy, I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's just a silicone. It's just a, a textured silicone implant. Same as that. It's not that much, not a huge amount of difference, but except the fact it's a bit lighter. Can't really demonstrate that so well. Have I gone glitched? Am I glitched? I'm glitched at home. Is it firm? No. How can I demonstrate? Is this wrong? This is wrong, isn't it? I'm going to be taken off Facebook. I think it's wrong what I'm doing there. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, no. Perhaps I'll just say no. Um, what I've got, I love your feed, see you next, oh, right, Roxana's off, all right, see you, Roxana, thanks for coming, um, see you next week, yeah, anyway, no, I am at the end, I'm at the end of it all, to be fair, um, yeah, thanks for, for the asking me for the B-Lights, um, Tracy, glad I remembered this week, I am, <laughs> I am going to check out here, and I am going to go and, um, you know, do personal things you know had dinner had dinner already so probably watch tv go and watch tv oh jody's here jody i've been talking to jody hi jody nice to see you um yeah jody yeah sorry uh, not me doing the surgery isn't it that's uh sorry about that but anyway i could have done that that could have been a question couldn't it not me doing the surgery to a question anyway Stop rambling. Um, maybe do that next week. So seven o'clock next week, I will be here to answer your questions. If you have any questions, then please 
Roxana trying to think of some interesting questions. Yep. Yeah, well, we had some good. Oh, God. What's happened? Vilma's in. Vilma was late, but she's in with a late question. How long minimum to return to work after abdominal plasty combined with liposuction? I have three pregnancy and last one was C-section. Um, so <laughs> Gemma caught the Gemma. I'm glad you caught the mom's bit. That's probably the highlight, to be honest with you. So you you got the best bit. Um, Vilma. Tummy tucks a big op, Vilma. Um, so people often say how many, it's, it's sort of in a way it's similar to a pregnant uh, a C-section because you're C-section, you're cutting through muscle, uh, but you're not taking any tissue out. With a tummy tuck, you're taking tissue out. So a tummy tuck's tight, whereas a C-section is not closed tight, but a C-section you cut through muscle. So I think it balances up. So the pain's similar for us. Anyway, the pain is a bit uncomfortable after a tummy tuck. You bend it over double. In hospital, usually a couple of nights. Um, dressings usually for a week. Then we usually take the dressings off after a week. Um, you have a binder, usually uh, some kind of support. If you stay away a day and night for a month. Um, try and get you up and walking as soon as possible. So it's good to be up and walking straight off the bat. So usually not the day of the surgery, but the next day, try and get you walking. But when you are walking, you'll be walking like that. You'll be walking bent, bent over. My chair to run away now. That'd be good. Um, so get you up and walking straight away. After a week, you have your dressings off. That first week, you know, you're going to be out of action, to be honest with you, Vilma. You're not really going to be uh, up to much after the first week. After the first week, take the dressing off. Second week, you're going to be feeling better. So if you do stuff on the computer, um, you know, if you do bits and bobs, you'll be doing stuff after the second week. Um, driving. Sometimes people are okay after two weeks. Normally, say three. Three weeks is sort of like two to three weeks for driving, really. Sometimes you have to, well, you have to check with your insurance company, the car insurance, because they might have a rule or they might say it's up to the doctor, in which case it's up to the doctor, whoever your doctor is. Um, so is it me? If it's Well, I know it's not me, is it, Vilma? Because I know your name. But anyway, whoever your doctor is, um, better check with them. But I normally say sort of, yeah, two to three weeks for driving, three to be safe. Um, and then after about three weeks, I would say you're getting back into things, taking it easy, doing stuff. Uh, nothing heavy, you know, if you, you know, walking around, stepper, exercise, bike, stuff like that. But nothing heavy, lifting or anything with your core. And it's normally about four to six weeks before you are doing anything to <laughs> Gemma. Bent down, uh, four to six weeks before you're doing anything too crazy in terms of the gym and the core and, the, and, and what have you. But then what I normally say is like four to six weeks before you even start to do it. Now, it doesn't mean that six weeks, I don't know if you're a gym type person, but these gym people, they're just straight into it and they're saying, oh, four weeks and I'm back in the gym and they go and do a circuit training. No, no, no. After about four to six weeks, so sometimes six weeks, you know, it can take a while, start gently getting back into things gently. And if it hurts, if it swells, back off, don't do it and then see how it goes. So you have to you have to sort of titrate it in after. So it takes a couple of months to start getting back on your feet and it takes the scars are all red and all that sort of stuff for a good few months takes time for them to sort of soften and, and settle. So, yeah, so basically two to three weeks, depends on what your work is, but two to three. So you say three weeks for, um, for, for here we go, Roxana. Roxana was back to work after three or so weeks. There you go. Yeah, three weeks is sort of, I would say, for work, but then nothing too heavy. If you work at home base, you know, if you're packing the shells, it's probably going to be six weeks. Um, yeah. Uh, Gemma, love you to bend double the B light. The B light squeezing. I regret the B light squeezing because I think I might. I don't want to get turned off Facebook again. I hope they they're not watching that because I don't I hope that's not considered to be a uh, uh, bannable of offence because I have been on the wrong side of Facebook in my time. But um, it was purely to demonstrate. Tracy asked me to do it, or someone asked. Was it Tracy? Someone asked me to do it. So you know, I yeah yeah. She said, "Is it the B light firm?" So it was totally her fault. Um, so I am gonna Vilma, thank you. Thank you very much um for, for asking a question. I am gonna um end the broadcast and I will be back here next week to do this similar sort of thing. Uh we, <laughs> um you know what, Roxana, I can't even tell you that I've been banned. That's a problem. I just if I just disappear and stop answering anything, stop commenting on anything. It's probably our band, but you know, they just ban you. You kind of say, um, hold on a minute. Laura, Laura Jane knew, Laura Jane, knew. Laura Jane knew, small n. How many liters can you take out in one liposuction? You know what, uh, Laura Jane knew, um, 
I think the Americans are big on sort of big, big liposuction. And some people are big on big liposuction, actually. Some people in this country. I'm not big on big liposuction. Um, so you've got to be a bit careful with big, big liposuction. And I think some people have got their things that they do and they're good at those things. And so if you're looking for big liposuction, um, I don't think I'm really, I, I'm, I'm big on that. Uh, uh, for me, a big liposuction is five liters. So more than five liters is a big liposuction. Um, and the problem is you get fluid shifts because you take out a lot of, you inject a lot of fluid when you do liposuction, you take out a lot of fluid when you're sucking it all out. And then fluid can go from your sort of inside your blood vessels to the soft tissues because you swell up. I don't know if I'm getting a bit technical now because everything swells after liposuction. So if you're doing a huge liposuction, so anything like five liters plus, um, the blood pressure can drop, you can feel faint, you can fall over. So you've got to be a bit careful. So you normally have to be monitored in the hospital at least overnight. You have to be given intravenous fluids to account for those fluid shifts. So you need someone experienced in it. Um, so I think five liters plus is a big liposuction and it can be done and it can be done safely in someone who does it a lot. Um, so yeah, that is how much can be. I would say, I would say that's, you can do more than five liters. But I think that around that sort of volume is, you know, you've got to be a bit careful and find someone who does it a lot. Um, probably not me or definitely not me. Um, for me, a big liposuction would be, you know, a couple of liters, two liters would be big. Three liters would be really big, you know. So two, two, three liters is sort of where I would be at. Um, I would just, you know, five, but these people who do these huge liposuctions, it's not really, it's not my thing, but it is some other people's thing. So, um, yeah. So two, three liters for me, five liters plus is out, is done out there. Let's <laughs> answer that question. Laura Jane New. Um, yeah. Thank you, Laura Jane New, for the question. And uh, I will see you all um, here next week. And I'm going to end the broadcast. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.